Starting in verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain in which Jesus has appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, the eleven disciples went away into Galilee. Matthew here doesn't talk about, uh, he sort of skips over Jesus appearing in Jerusalem. His heart was led to, uh, more interested in showing the promises of Jesus returning, which Matthew had recorded, and back two chapters before in 2632, when Jesus tells them, but after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. So Matthew's short of confirming his scripture. I imagine he was rather excited to like, our Lord told us he was going to go before us in Galilee. So here we start off the 11, left, went away to Galilee. Like that. Notice it says that when they saw him, they worshipped him. Imagine that's a natural reaction when we see our Lord. The first thing we'll want to do is to worship him. Anybody ever dream that? I can't wait to see Jesus again. That's the first thing I want to do. I've heard somebody not that long ago say, he said, man, I've got a lot of loved ones in heaven and I look forward to seeing them again, but they're second. I'm going straight to Jesus first. I want to get before my Lord and I want to worship him. Well, imagine they saw him in real life and that's the first thing they did was they bowed down and they worshiped him. But interesting enough here, Matthew recorded some doubted. And I thought, why would Matthew record that? Well, imagine they had some uncertainty and hesitation. And imagine the whole experience of that would be something that was pretty memorable. I know I would be at that point. It's probably a feeling of, is this too good to be true? He actually defeated, he rose again just like he said he would. We get it here now. And also a little bit of a lingering shame that they had on their own lives for running away from him during his time of suffering. So they had a bit of doubt going there. The verb doubt... Uh, in the Greek is distazo, if I said that right. It doesn't denote a settled unbelief, so to speak, but more of a, an un- uncertainty, a hesitation. So you don't look at them like, they, it wasn't the doubting, like, oh, I don't know if this guy's real or not. It was more of a, just a hesitation, sort of a doubt, what this word doubt means there. And I think also Matthew would have recorded this here, or the Lord had Matthew record here that they doubted sort of dispels the fact that the disciples would want to see the Lord so much that they hallucinated that they saw him again. You know, they they didn't have a desperate desire to see him so much that they see him everywhere. You know, they actually had doubt. It was such an experience for them. You know, a, a, a hesitation like, wow, this is for real. It was such an awesome experience. Something that rather stuck with them. Continuing on in verse 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, I love that there. If you slow down and you read that, Jesus came. Jesus came to them. Here they they saw the Lord. They're ready to worship him. They're doubting. Jesus came to them. You ever notice how our Lord comes to us first? When we're a little hesitant, when we're a little fearful, when we're a little anything, even when we're joyful, our Lord tends to meet us there first. Jesus came to them. And he spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. All authority had been given to Jesus. This indicates an authoritative command. Not a suggestion. 
Jesus isn't coming back at this point going, hey guys, I just did all this for you. I've just died for you. So if you would, kind of pay me back a little and do this favor for me. No, all authority. Also notice through this, what our Lord is speaking in 18, 19, and 20 there in his command to them, the word all. It's repeated four different times. All dominates here. All authority, all nations, all things, all the days. Christ defeated death. He reigns supreme. He has all authority. This is that big, big boss guy that I'm talking about, the all authority speaking here. Power in the hands of some people can be dangerous, but power in the hands of Christ is blessed. Spurgeon, if I may quote him, says, Oh, let, the, let him have all power. Let him do what he will with it, for he cannot will anything but that which is right and just and true and good. It's like voting for that one politician that you just know is going to be right and good. Jesus is all right, all good, all truthful, all just. And what does this all authority tell us to do? But to go. To go, therefore. Because Jesus has authority, though, we are therefore commanded to go. Our Lord has commanded us to go. Just as what we would do is, I'm at work and the top exec comes down and says, do this, I'm going to jump up and do it. You know? Jesus has his authority that sends us. His is, it's his authority that guides us. It's his authority that empowers us. And it works in a way to continue around the world throughout his, through all of his disciples. Keep in mind, Jesus said go to some very imperfect people. If you ever doubt, I don't know if the Lord really wants me to go do some things. If I can share sort of a, what I call a Joe insight. Sometimes I like to think, imagine what it was like when our Lord, which will be in just a little while, he'll ascend to heaven. And he gets up there and the angels, they're, they're just triumphing and they're rejoicing. You know, hallelujah, you did it. You defeated, you did it, you did it. And then one of his, you know, maybe one of his top angels, they'll come up beside him and he goes, Great job, Lord. I knew you just, I have, you're just so perfect. Okay, so what's the plan now? What's the plan now? And Jesus looks down to us. He says, they're the plan. They're the plan? Have you seen those guys? Have you seen Joe? They're the plan. Funny, Lord. What's plan B? There is no plan B. I have all authority. And I told them to go. Who, was these, who were these disciples? Who were these apostles, as we'll call them? Peter, known to be rash and headstrong. John, who sometimes wished to call down fire from heaven and destroy people. It's my way of handling politics. Philip, whom the Savior had been so long, and yet he didn't know him. Thomas, who had to put his finger into the prince's of nails, or he wouldn't even believe, doubted. Yet the master says to them, as he says to us in our imperfection, go, you are as good for my purpose as anybody else would be. There is no power in you, I know, but then all the power is in him. He has all the authority, so go. He says to make disciples of all the nations. 
This command to make disciples isn't merely to go about converting people. You're not just to preach the gospel to them and get them to convert and believe. It's not not trying to gather supporters for the cause or anything like that. The idea behind disciples, truly in making disciples, is to make them students, learners, scholars, if you would. Pastor Rob has, for the past two plus years now, hosted a monthly men's discipleship class. And he has taught us how to read through God's word, how to rightly discern it, how to rightly look into it, how to find out its meaning, and how to share that with others. He has made disciples. He has answered the Lord's call to go. Others here teach Bible classes and are teaching others the same thing. That ministry grows. As he has taught us, we are teaching others, and that grows beyond. Make disciples. It reminds me that disciples are made. It's not something that's spontaneously created at conversion. You're now a new believer. You're also now just, you're instantly a disciple. No, you have to be made. You have to have that time. You have to be taught on how to rightly divide God's word. You have to learn some things. You have to spend time with the Lord. The Lord has to spend time with you and teach you and guide you. We're not, we're products of sort of a process that involves other believers. It's not something like, well, I'm going to go spend the next six months up on a mountaintop and learn to be a disciple. No, it involves other people. (laughs) It involves the interaction, the fellowship, the sharing of his word. It involves you teaching Bible classes. It involves you attending Bible classes, being so well-rounded in that regard. It involves you being all things uh, for our Lord as he calls to that. It's the power that Jesus gives that spreads his Christianity. And we're plan A. We are the plan. We are the, the Lord has more faith in us. He has put it upon us. He has given us his power to do so. He tells us to do this to all nations. Notice in Christ's previous ministry, Jesus deliberately restricted his work to Jewish people. And previously, he sent his disciples with the same restriction as listed back in uh, Matthew, again, chapter 10, verse 6. But only in rare exceptions did Jesus minister among Gentiles. Now all that's in the past. And disciples are commissioned to take the gospel to all nations. There's no place on earth where the gospel of Jesus should not be preached. There's no place where disciples should not be made without distinction. For the Lord loves all and wishes all to repent and come to saving grace. He commands them to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Significantly, when Jesus told them to go to all the nations, he didn't tell them to circumcise them, as was the Jewish tradition. Nope, he gave them the command to baptize them, breaking with the old ways. All things have been made new. In the name, the phrase in the name, literally translated means into the name, or implying an entrance or an allegiance. Sort of, a, you may know somebody that would say, Hail Caesar, you, you, you're, you're saying something into the name. When we're baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, 
That means we're confessing that we're showing that we're a believer and that we're acting out in faith that our allegiance, our, we are following our Lord. And we're to teach them to observe all things that Jesus has commanded them. Disciples are made through teaching. Teaching is not just with words only, however, it's with the power that's always present with Jesus. He will be present with his people until the job of making disciples is done, which is at the end of the age. He will be with us always. Before now, Jesus had been their teacher. Now, they are taking over the role of teacher. Now, we are taking over the roles of teacher. Our role goes beyond showing up to church once a week, twice a week, three times a week, and listening. Our role is to grow and go and to teach, to share. Even if you share five minutes, just a little, you grow in that. And our Lord finishes by saying, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus sends his disciples with the mission to fulfill, but he didn't send them alone. He promised, his promise of constant presence was more than enough to strengthen them. And they obeyed Jesus, and they went forth, and they made disciples of all nations. The promise of his presence is complete. The English verb always renders an expression found in the New Testament only here, and it's strictly speaking of the whole of the day, not just the horizon of view, but each day as we live it. It's not just from sunrise to sundown. It's sort of a verb. It's, I was trying to figure out. It's, it's the whole day. Jesus is with us always. He's not just with me for the eight hours I'm at work. He's just not with me for the you know, two hours I'm up in the morning before I go to work. Or he's not just with me when I come to church. He's with me always, literally. Isn't that comforting to know? No matter where you are, what you're going through, what joy you're going through, what trials you're going through. Jesus is there with you always. And never forget, he's commanding you, go make disciples of these nations. Tell them of me. His presence means privilege because we are working with a great king. Paul understood this principle in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9, where he wrote, for we are all God's fellow workers. Paul calls us, we are fellow workers with the Lord in this. We're the plan A. We're the workers. It's not up to Jesus. He's gone to heaven. He is here with us in presence. We are the workers now. We are God's fellow workers. Since Jesus promised, I am with you always, then we work together with him in all of our service. We certainly work for Jesus, but more than that, we work with Jesus. His presence means protection because we are never out of his sight or his supervision. His presence means power because we will always fulfill this great command when we work with his name. And his presence means peace because it always reminds us that the church belongs to Jesus. It's his church. It's his work. How then can we worry as we go forth? Now tonight's scripture was short. It's the end of the gospel. It's what we had left to work with. When Rob called me this afternoon telling me he was ill, he said, Joe, that's what you've got to work with and what little time to work with. And I said, but what a beautiful thing to work with. 
So I prayed to the Lord on my way here and as I got here and to study that. And I'm kind of an action kind of a person. So what I'd like to do in a few minutes is I'll pray and I'll ask Aaron or Kevin back there to put on some instrumental music. And then I'm going to challenge each one of you here tonight. Most of us here are believers. Some may not be. But I'm going to challenge you here tonight because I know there's a group Thursday night. Y'all love to sit around and talk in fellowship. Share the gospel with somebody here tonight. Turn, share the gospel with them tonight. Even if you know they may know the gospel, what better thing to talk about? If you have someone, nobody here that you want to talk to, come talk to me. I'd love to hear the gospel told to me 30 times a night. When I go to Brazil in July, one of my hopes and joys is to record the Indians in their Apudanai language without a translator telling me the gospel. I want to hear it in that language without interruption, without translation. And I know how joy, I just can't, I'm excited to hear that. So I hope you are too tonight. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the work that you've done before us. Thank you for you coming to this earth, Lord. For you overcoming all temptations. For you suffering on our behalf. For you dying for us, Lord. For you taking our place. For you going into the grave and coming out again, defeating death, Lord. And for you standing before and you coming to us so that we can worship you. You came to them, Lord. And you looked at them broken as they were, problems as they were, those that had abandoned you when you were in times of suffering, Lord, but yet you came to them and you strengthened them by your will, Lord. Strengthen us the same way, Father. Embolden us. Help us do your will, Lord. Help us understand that we are to go and we are to make disciples of all, Lord. Help us love you as you so deserve, Lord. Thank you, Father, for this privilege. Thank you for trusting and relying upon us. May we always love you. In Jesus' name, amen.